Got your Bibles open up to Psalm 19. Psalm 19. Last weekend, uh, while I was uh, sharing, I read through some of Psalm 19 in both services, and each time I did, I felt this anointing that was on those words. And, uh, and as I was thinking about that, uh, on, on Monday, it's like, okay, well, Lord, what's the next thing? What's in your heart to share? And he said, what did you feel yesterday? I said, well, man, that's Psalm 19. There was something there. He said, yep, there's something there. So I, I came back to it this week, digging a little deeper into it, and reading and rereading the entire psalm, I found some insights and applications related to us interacting with a variety of ways that God reveals his word to us. Isaiah 30, 21 says, whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ear will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. And I believe God is always communicating with us. Sometimes he does so in louder, more obvious and recognizable ways, but it seems like more often than not, uh, he chooses to communicate in quieter and more subtle ways, which may be one of the reasons Jesus on several occasions added this little phrase, if anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Jesus also repeated that same phrase to all seven churches in Revelation, so it must be an important idea that lingers all the way to the end. Jesus reveals his word to us in so many ways. We can hear and see him in nature. We can read the living and active words written in our Bibles. We're given rhema words by the Holy Spirit. God has spoken to me many times. Uh, I was watching a movie, reading a book, listening to the radio, sitting in silence, in prayer, and worship. God's even spoken to me several times listening to a sermon. Amazing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Sometimes even in my sermons, he speaks to me about stuff. Psalm 19, David highlighted many ways David reveals himself to us. And by the end of this psalm, all of that led David to a very profound and beautiful place of introspection and surrender. And we'll get there before we're done today. David himself uh, was called by God a man after my heart. And in that pursuit of God's heart, David cultivated a purposeful and intentional passion for living in harmony with God. Now, when I say with God, I'm not talking about some nebulous, name it yourself, higher power, or any of the little g false gods connected to religions like Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, etc. Instead, I'm talking about the amazing opportunity that each of us have to not only know and interact with the one true God, but also to be known by and interacted with by the creator of all. When each of us was created in God's image as a unique expression of God's manifold wisdom and grace, we were each specifically created to have a personal relationship with God and to enjoy his love forever. And along with that, each of us have been invited by name into the incredible opportunity and journey of getting to live in harmony with God. Now, living in harmony speaks of living in agreement with, to being in one accord with, placing a high value on maintaining a healthy, growing relationship with God in the midst of the dynamic, active, ever-changing world we live in today. Harmony always requires good listening. And another thing harmony requires is deference and respect to the fact that we are not the melody line. Tell your neighbor, you're not the melody line. Now that may come as news to some of you. Sometimes we get the feeling like the whole world revolves around us. But we are not the melody line, but we are called to live in harmony with the melody line. And living in harmony with God is something that it takes practice to do. 
to hear his voice and to line up and then sing with him. Sometimes he invites us to sing the melody with him. That's called singing in unison. But more often than not, we're called into a place of harmony. Harmony takes a lot of skill and practice, but here's really good news. Living in harmony with God is God's idea for each of us. And so he's totally committed to helping us accomplish it. Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There is no speech or language or their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the end of the world. In my mind, I see David sitting back and reflecting on times when in his younger years, he would be out in the fields watching over his father's sheep. And day after day and night after night, he recognized and experienced the heavens declaring the glory of God. The Passion said, God's splendor is a tale that is told. The heavens are continually rehearsing the glory of God. His testament is written in the stars. In the message, the verse, there is no speech or language where their voice is not heard is, trans is interpreted like this. Their words aren't heard, their voices aren't recorded, but their silence fills the earth. Unspoken truth is spoken everywhere. Romans 1, Paul pointed out that since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen and easily perceived from what's been made. So people are without excuse. Throughout human history, the fingerprints of God were upon them, yet they refused to honor him as God or even be thankful to him. And instead, they entertained foolish thoughts about what God was like with misguided hearts steeped in moral darkness. And because they traded the truth for lies... God gave them over to the sinful desires of their hearts, to shameful lusts, and to depraved minds to do what ought not be done. Footnote in my New Living Translation Study Bible says, we're surrounded by fantastic displays of God's craftsmanship. The heavens give dramatic evidence of his existence, his power, his love, and his care. To say that the universe came into being by chance is beyond reason. To argue the mind-boggling beauty and complexity can come out of nothing was created by no one seems absurd. The design, intricacy, orderliness, and life-giving environment of our world clearly point to a personally involved creator. Setting aside the darkened intellectual dishonesty of many of the current theories of creation and acknowledging God's existence and thanking him for his work is a good step forward but in and of itself, it's not enough. Again, we were created to know and to be known by God, not just to know about him or have a head knowledge of his existence. However, into the whole equation, God also chose to give each of us free will. And with that free will, we can live out and exercise and I'll do it my way independence in our everyday living. Every choice creates a consequence. I'll do it my way has a proven track record that eventually results in various expressions of selfishness, bitterness, brokenness, self-hatred, prejudice, exploitation, envy, strife, disillusionment, abuse, even more, just to name a few. Of course, there's a better free will choice we can make. Psalm 96 says, the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. So ascribe to the Lord the glory that's due his name. And worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. And in line with that, we can choose to surrender the control of our lives to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And that choice initially ushers us in to a born-again salvation moment. 
And then as we keep making that choice over and over again, we find ourselves working out the fullness of our salvation. And part of that includes learning more about living in harmony with God. Now, musically, singing good harmony requires listening to and knowing the melody. Colossians 3 says Jesus is the melody. He's the image of the invisible God. He's before all things, and in him all things hold together. All of creation is sustained by the voice of God. Some of my favorite authors have suggested Jesus' sustaining voice is released over all creation as a song. And as a psalmist, I love that thought. Middle of verse 4, chapter 19. In the heavens, he's pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the others. Nothing is hidden from its heat. Proverbs 4.18 says, The path of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn shining ever brighter to the full light of day. And every day that instructive truth gets reinforced as the sun comes up and runs its course. True enough, at different times of the year there can be uh, less or more exposure to the sun. But regardless, the sun rises, shines, and sets every day. And even when it gets dark where we live... The first gleam of dawn is taking place on the other side of the planet. I also think there's another instructive truth revealed by the sun's daily orbit that relates to God's tendency to be more circular than linear in his thoughts and ways. But that's another teaching for another day. Verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. In Hebrew, the law of the Lord is the Torah. It's the first five books of the Old Testament, and that was the Bible in David's day. Psalm 1 says, blessed is the one who delights in the law. And meditates on it day and night. Psalm 37 says, The law of God in our hearts will keep our feet from slipping, and we won't swerve from the paths of steadfast righteousness. On the inside of all that Jesus did, we now have all of the Old Testament and the New Testament available to us. And as the Passion says, God's word is perfect in every way. That Hebrew word for perfect means complete, entirely integrous, nothing but the truth, without any blemish, undefiled, sincere, full, and sound. Days gone by, I remember Bill Johnson being here and speaking, and I remember Bill saying on a couple of occasions, I believe the whole Bible, from the table of contents all the way to the maps. God's word is perfect in every way. And God still uses his perfect word for reviving, the New King James Version says, converting our soul. As we each continue to be people of the word, spending time in the word, hiding God's word in our heart, aspiring to be and become these words, God will use his perfect word to turn us back and away from the place we started toward living in an abundant life on a new path and in a new way. The statutes of the Lord is actually better translated and understood as the testimony of of the Lord. These testimonies are like signposts. In Hebrew, it's the recorded testimony of a witness. And testimony comes from the word to duplicate, to repeat, and to protest. 
Now there's a do it again that comes attached to the testimony of God's goodness and faithfulness. There is such a power in testimony as we speak and as we release the things that God's doing in our lives. I want to encourage you, when God's doing something good in your life, don't just keep it to yourself. Watch for God to bring somebody across your path and for you to have the opportunity to share it with them. Now, you might have the uh, 30-second version and the five-minute version because not everybody's got five minutes to hear all that's going on in your life. But have it available and have it ready and watch for God to bring power of people across your path so that you can release the power of testimony. Because with the power of testimony comes, if he did it for you, he'll do it for somebody else. And when you hear those stories and when you hear the truth about what God's doing in people's lives, receive it like that. Sometimes our flesh will rise up and go, why did he do that for them? And why didn't he do that for me? That's your old bad self. Tell that bad self to be quiet. When you, when you hear of a story of God doing something for somebody else, say, thank you, Lord, that you did that for them. And if you met their need like that, the needs I've got, you'll meet it, mine too, because the, the ground at the foot of the cross is level. He's not a respecter of persons. What he does for one of us, he'll do for all of us. And he loves answering prayers and he likes coming through for us. So I'm gonna encourage us to be people who are good at speaking out the testimony. Hey, you know what God did for me today? As well as receiving others when they speak that testimony to us. Because the testimony of the Lord is powerful. I think also, as, <laughs> excuse me, as much as ever before, we need to be using the testimony of God's word to stand up against the moral subjectivity and lawlessness of this present age. There is such an effort right now to make <clears throat> a lot of things that, the black, that, that are very black and white in Scripture gray. The black and white things in Scripture are black and white, and we need to stand on those things, what God thinks about life and what God thinks about gender and so many of the topics that they're out there trying to gray out. Say, well, it doesn't really say, does it really say? Yes, it really says that. And we need to be declaring the power of the word and releasing it into the atmosphere because the testimony of the Lord is trustworthy and sure, making wise the simple. That word for simple can mean the seducible. Look around the room and see a room full of seducible people. It's all of us, all of us. But the testimony of the Lord is trustworthy and sure, making wise the seducible. And as we allow God's testimony to build us up and guide us in our perceptions and our choices, our shift from simple to wise will show up and be evident in the ways we live and think and speak and behave. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. A precept is a commandment or a directive given as a rule of action or conduct. In Hebrew, precept is an appointed mandate. And precepts are meant to be meditated upon, remembered, and diligently kept. Now, we tend to think about commandments and rules as restrictions and limitations. But Psalm 119.45 says, I will walk about in complete freedom. For I have sought out your precepts. The truth of the matter is we all do better when the fence, when we know where the fence is. Some of us like to hang out on the edge of the fence. Some of us like to just stay away from the fence. But the truth of the matter is complete freedom is found when there are clearly defined guidelines, when there are clearly defined rules and regulations. This sought out means following hard after God by seeking and asking and specifically worshiping him. And when we embrace rather than resist the precepts of the Lord, our hearts love it because we're aligning our daily lives in accordance with God's original design and purpose for our lives. 
The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. This Hebrew word for commands comes from the intensive to constitute and to enjoin. And so in the Passion, it says, his commands, how they challenge us to keep close to his heart. Moses used this same word in one of his final charges to the people of Israel. His words still echo into our day. This is from Deuteronomy 30. Now, what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It's not up in heaven so that you have to ask, who will ascend into heaven and get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it? Nor is it beyond the sea. So you have to ask, who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it? No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your hearts so you may obey it. See, I said before you today, life and prosperity, death and destruction. I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. And then you will live and increase and the Lord will bless you and he'll bless you in the land that you are entering to possess. But if your hearts turn away and you're not obedient and if you're drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed and you'll not live long in the land you're crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses that I've set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God and listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life. And he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So the commands of the Lord are an invitation into covenant with God. Commands isn't about God barking orders at us like a drill sergeant. Instead, commands is about God drawing us into an apprenticeship with him so that we can learn his ways. The commands of the Lord are clear guidelines that inform and give us inbounds, out-of-bounds insights for living. God and his word are best thought about and viewed as for us, not against us. The religious spirit will often quote verses at us and use God's word against us. The Holy Spirit speaks them to us in ways that open our eyes to better understand them so we can put them into practice. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. This particular Hebrew word for fear has nothing to do with being afraid. Instead, it's all about reverential living. Psalm 111.10 says, It's the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 1 says, the fear of the Lord is the doorway into skillful ingenuity, adeptness, and the knowledge of how things work. In Psalm 34, David elaborated on the importance of the fear of the Lord. He even fleshed out a little bit about what it can look like. Come, my children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Not only is this kind of reverential living in the fear of the Lord pure and enduring forever, but it also releases a lasting purity in our lives as we walk out this kind of deeply respectful and honoring relationship with God. The ordinance of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. This word for ordinance is best translated and understood as the judgments of the Lord. 
saying last night, when we hear the judgments of the Lord, you almost hear in the background, bum, bum, bum. The pronounced verdict, the just sentence or decree determined to be both right and best. This word for sure means trust and trustworthiness with certainty and stability. Sure also defines a fixed character that lines up with what is right. And in addition to that, the judgments of the Lord, bum, 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 are altogether righteous, bum, 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 meaning they are upright, virtuous, and honorable, as well as morally right and justifiable. The judgments of the Lord, bum, 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 of course they're just. Of course they're just. But they're also about setting things right. The judgments of the Lord are about setting things right. And God gives all of us what we're properly due. And he does so not only according to the truth, but also the foundation of the truth itself. There's one judge, God himself. And fortunately for us, God is mercy to the core. And his mercy endures forever. Luke 6, Jesus said, do to others what you'd have them do to you. Be merciful, just as your father is merciful. Do not judge, and you'll not be judged. Do not condemn, and you'll not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be given. The rest of that verse, uh, you get to that forgive, and you'll be forgiven. The next verse is awesome. talks about tithing. Give, and, and it'll be given to you. Press down, shake, and, to, to, and read it, flowing over. But actually, I think it's about forgiveness. Do not judge and you'll not be judged. Do not condemn. You'll not be condemned. Forgive and you'll be forgiven. Give and it'll be given to you, pressed down, shaken together and running over in full measure into your lap. There's something powerful about forgiveness and us being people who traffic in forgiveness. James 2 says, speak and act as those who are to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful because mercy triumphs over judgment. So powerful. I think David drew new covenant ideas like these into his worldview way ahead of his time. Because look how else he described the ordinances, the judgments, bum, 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 of the Lord. Verse 10, they are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned, and in keeping them, there is great reward. David saw God's judgments as precious and valuable. The Amplified says they are more to be desired than gold. David also saw God's judgments as something to be relished and enjoyed like good honey, and they are to be applied. The Amplified says by them, your servant is warned, reminded, illuminated, and instructed. That Hebrew word for warn means to enlighten by caution, to admonish.